0: Good morning, everybody. We doing all right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe some of you are doing all right. How about this side? You guys doing all right? yeah, uh, okay, good, good. I got an email actually from Renee in the middle of church. I haven't read it yet, but don't email me during church. I don't read them. Um, hey, a couple things. before we get started, man, uh, if if you didn't get excited about worship this morning, uh, then. Uh, it's going to be a rough morning for you. you. You need to check your pulse, make sure that you're alive. Uh, it was good, right? Good, good worship this morning. Um, it's good to be back. We were gone last week uh, for a, a family event up in Washington. And, uh, and so today I'm talking about anxiety uh, because of that. And um, we're going we're gonna to tackle the anxiousness that I dealt with this last week of being in one house with my entire family. Not my immediate family, not my, my entire family. Anyways, uh, before we get started, I want to say this, that um, we're going into the fall. And uh, w- historically for our church, whenever we go into the, into the fall, uh, we see lots of people come and visit our church. We see lots of people added to our uh, congregation, to our family. And, uh, and so because of that, now is a great time to join our dream team. Uh, If you have not been a part of our dream team or maybe you've been a part of our dream team and taken a break, uh, now would be a great time to jump, I guess, on board, according to Anna, uh, to whatever train it is, the dream team train and the prayer train and every other train that we have. And does anybody even ride the train? Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, So uh, now's a good time. For a couple different reasons, uh, because we need your help uh, dealing with all the people that are going to come and visit our church— Uh, But secondly, here's a a great reason, is in October, at the end of October, is our Dream Team Appreciation Party. Uh, This is our annual event. It's a big thing. We spend lots of money on it. It's a big dinner uh, party that we have. Last year was 80s-themed. I think this year we're doing kind of a 40s-themed deal. Um, We'll we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, We definitely are not doing 80s again. Uh, (laughs) Can't handle that much fluorescent and hair and, uh, like rockers. Anyways, uh, it was a lot of fun, and you just don't want to miss it. It's, it. But here's the thing is you will miss it if you're not a part of our dream team. You will not get invited. Uh, so uh, be a part of our dream team. That's why they call it a dream team appreciation party, not a lifehouse appreciation party. It's a dream team appreciation party. This is an opportunity for you to get a part. Now, that should not be your only reason to be a part of the dream team. That being said, it might be a good reason to be a part of the dream team. The second thing is this, and this isn't in your bulletin or anything because I just got the details of this. Uh, there's a, uh, a documentary uh, that is going to be previewed at, uh, out at the Tejas Rodeo. Uh, it's called Faith Keepers, and it has to do with uh, persecution of Christians uh, in our world today. Uh, and Typically, I don't promote things uh, like this necessarily, but uh, after watching the documentary myself, Uh, It's very well done. Uh, I'm usually hesitant on anything that's uh, kind of produced in this way. It's not always the best. It's not... You know the greatest to watch kind of have to trudge through it but this is really really good and it's very informative uh, to what's going on uh, in the refugee crisis it's very informative of what's going on in persecution in our world today uh, we think that martyrdom is just you know something that happened back in the day uh, it's actually happening today and and so this is a great opportunity for us to go and support that uh, there's uh, a special guest there and stuff but really for me uh, to promote it the primary reason is the documentary I'd love for you for all of us to be informed about what's going on in our world. All right, well, today is the last day of the Philippians series, and if you've enjoyed it, then uh, you're sad to see it go. If you've been trudging through it, then you're okay with it, and uh, we'll continue on to a next series next week. Uh, we're going to start in Philippians chapter four. There's four chapters in, uh, in the book of Philippians, and Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord, I love you. And long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. So as a reminder, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's chained to a guard. He's down in a hole. They give him a pen and paper, and he writes a letter back to this church that he planted. Uh, And uh, he, he loves this church. He loves the people in the church. And he's really encouraging them to mature in their relationship with God. Uh, He he doesn't want to see them just kind of stay in the same place that they've always been. He wants to see them go just a little deeper and and really that's what this is for us. Uh, We've taken the summer to kind of go just a little bit deeper in our relationship with God to have a better understanding of what it means to have joy in our life Uh, and so Paul's writing this to them really saying man I love you guys, I want you to be encouraged by this and Uh, by the way, he says, my joy and the crown I receive for my work is you guys. Uh, And I would say the same thing to you that uh, on Saturday when we were here for prayer, uh, Pastor Glenn asked us, you know, what is it that you're thankful for? And as I was processing, I just thought, you know, I'm so thankful for our church. I'm thankful for our staff. Uh, I get to see other churches. I'm not just you know, buttering you guys up for the message, I really genuinely believe that. I love you guys, and I, I love our church, uh, and I, I definitely am so thankful and grateful for our staff that allows me to be able to go to family things and uh, and to lead worship and, and everything that our staff does around here. That was to butter you guys up, uh, our staff, but... Uh, Every week that we've been uh, looking at these chapters, we've taken just a few of the killers, the joy killers that Paul warns us about, those things that steal our joy from us. And uh, and today we're going to take a look at really the the biggest one of the book, uh, and that is anxiety. I wasn't kidding about that. We are going to talk about anxiety today, about being anxious. In verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything in your life. And ultimately, that's the thief of joy, isn't it? Anxiousness, anxiety, fear, worry, those are the things that cause us to lose our joy. And, and really, anxiety or uh, to be anxious is to kind of be, uh, you're not hopeless, but you're not hopeful. Uh, you're, you're not in a place to where you're just absolutely hopeless, but you're really kind of halfway between hope and fear. And the problem with that is when you're halfway between hope and fear, you're not doing anything. You're just in this kind of catatonic state where you're immobilized and you're not doing anything with your life because you're bound by this anxiousness and this this fear. Today we're going to look at how we can be set free from that. But in order to do that, we kind of have to identify where that comes from. So in your notes, uh, if you're following along with us, the first thing that brings anxiousness into our life is our worry. The top four things Americans worry about uh, right now are health. So either your own personal health or the health of a family member or a friend. Uh, Our uh, family, whether our family is uh, functional or dysfunctional, if they're uh, if you're raising your children to be good producers of society or serial killers, whatever, the, like that's a fear. That was my fear, uh, son, as he's sitting in service. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Uh, economy is also a huge fear uh, that we have, uh, You know whether, whether we're going to be in an economic downturn or whatever. And then terrorism is also a huge fear uh, that we have today. So those are the kind of the four fears, but we also have all of these phobias. Uh, the, the running list of phobias is like over 500 now, where we have fears of everything. Uh, one of the top uh, fears is arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Most of us would agree with that, and if you don't, then you've got a problem. Um, <laughs> how many of you like spiders? Anybody like spiders in here? I'm not talking about the reason that they exist it, it, kill insects, I'm just saying like you enjoy them, like you want to pet them. Nobody does, right? Come on, Christina, you don't. So arachnophobia, that's a problem. We'll pray, we'll pray, we'll pray for you after service. Arachnophobia, there's also uh, glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. Um, a lot of people have the fear of, of speaking in public. Um, here's an interesting fear. It's uh, petronophobia, and it's the fear of being tickled by feathers. odd right I don't know when I hear that I'm like I would like to be tickled by feathers like I mean that that doesn't scare if a clown is tickling me by that that scares me because that is uh, cowrophobic, and I'm cowrophobic because I have a fear of clowns freak me out there's nomophobia which many of you have and that is the fear of not having your phone did you even know that was a thing Here's the thing is we don't put a name to it, but let me just give you an example and you'll realize that you are nomophobic. Uh, When you stand up and you go like this, that's a fear of not having your phone, like because you're like, it's here somewhere, right? And and so that's nomophobia. Uh, And then finally, there's uh, phobophobia, which is the fear of fear. It's the thought of being afraid of objects and situations like I'm afraid of being afraid. I I didn't even, that's a weird thing. The, The root, not if you are phobophobia, I'm not saying you're weird. I'm just saying I don't understand it. The root word for worry is strangle. We would all agree with that, especially with anxiety in our life. There's clinical uh, diagnosis of this where you have an anxiety attack. Anytime you're in a place of anxiousness or fear or worry, doesn't it feel a little bit like you can't breathe? That you're anxious and and it, there's a weight on your chest and, and you, you just can't figure out how to get out of it. But it's not that you're hopeless, you just... You just can't breathe. And I think we would all agree that we've been there at some point in our life where it's just, it's just too much. And we worry and we're afraid. The second thing that brings anxiety is the our why. And in the first week of this series, we talked a lot about the why, the, the why have I been diagnosed with this sickness? Why did this family member die? Why did this situation have to happen to me? It's the why questions that we all want the answers to, but we don't seem to ever get. And, And what happens if we're not careful is if we get focused on the why, we'll find ourselves angry at God, questioning God, and beginning to find our place in a downward spiral of now being hopeless and not just in a place of anxiety. And so if you, I'm not going to talk too much about that because I preached on it a few weeks ago. If you missed that, go back and and watch that. But let's not get so wrapped up in the why because the reality is is there are why questions that we will never know on this side of our life. Our who, that's the third thing. Uh, People can create anxiety. Uh, You have a who in your life or you've had a who in your life if you haven't removed them yet. You are probably a who to somebody else. Uh, if if you don't think that you're a who, you are definitely a who. <laughs> you create anxiety in people's life. We all do, to some extent, in some element. Or you have someone in your life that just, it, whether it's a family member or a friend or a co-worker, whenever they walk in the room, it's just it, there's just this tension and this anxiety and this sense that, you know, I just... Oh, it just unravels you a little bit. So our who? And the reasons for our anxiety aren't going anywhere. If you think about it, nothing's changing about that. I mean, you can, you can have boundaries and you can change your who a little bit to some extent. Unless your who lives with you, then that's a little bit of a challenge. But hopefully the who that lives with you doesn't create anxiety in your life. But You can have boundaries to some extent, but the realities of this life is anxiety or those things that produce anxiety in our life aren't going away. Life is difficult. It's very hard. And it's not going to get any easier for us. And if we're not careful, anxiety and worry will own who we are. And it will render us completely useless. If you're like me, you want to have joy. You've been listening to this series. You've been reading Philippians. You know that our joy is found in God. You get all of that, but it seems like everywhere you turn, there is something there to steal our joy. And Jesus reminds us that we're not stuck in that place. In Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 25, Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food. Jesus clearly wasn't from the South, but... (laughs) No, I mean, even in the South, life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. He says, they don't sow or weep. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than a raven, than a bird. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Jesus is reminding us that, we can get caught up in our fears or our worries or anxiety, but the reality is, is it does nothing for you. It doesn't hour, it doesn't add even an hour to your day. We have a choice. We have a choice to not be stuck in that situation. Paul tells us in verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned that word can also be translated discovered. I have discovered the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says you have a choice. You have a choice that no matter what circumstance you're in, whatever situation You find yourself in today. Jeremy said that the word defeated kept coming to him as he was preparing the worship set. If you came in this morning feeling defeated, there is a hope in Christ. There is a hope that you can make the choice to step out of that and be in a place of joy. That's what it all comes down to. That every day we make the decision... The joy decision. Every day we have the opportunity to wake up and say, today I choose joy. In this world of chaos that we live in, I choose joy. In my sickness that I've been diagnosed with, I choose joy. In my family, I choose joy. In my need, in my job, in every situation, I choose joy every single day. Paul finishes this book off by telling us how to make that decision. Because it's easy, right? We say, well, okay, great, Ryan, I I can choose joy, but it doesn't feel like then anything actually changes. He says, well, here's some steps to live that out. And these are steps that Paul lived out while he's in prison. If anybody has a situation in which joy could have been robbed from him, it's this guy. He's sitting in a dark dungeon. He's chained to a guard. He could have said, woe is me. My situation is bad. This is difficult. I think I'll go eat worms or whatever the case. And instead he says, I choose joy even in this. And he lives it out. And you say, well, Ryan, it doesn't make sense. Like, I I get it. I hear what you're saying. But that doesn't make sense to me. And Paul says in verse 6, he says, don't be anxious about anything. He says, but in prayer, uh, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the promise, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The first thing Paul says is pray. Pray about everything. If you feel like, You know what, Ryan? It just doesn't make sense for me to have joy in the midst of this dark and difficult situation. I just don't understand how it would be possible. Paul would say, pray and the peace of God will be upon you and it won't even make sense. It will surpass all understanding. You'll be thinking, wait a minute, it doesn't make sense to me that I would have joy in my life and yet somehow I have joy and it's only because of the power of prayer. Next week, we start 21 days of prayer as a church, as Anna said in the announcement. And typically what happens is we'll, we, we start it actually this Sunday, uh, this first Sunday in August, and we've decided to push it off a week. And, uh, and part of that is we really want to go into the fall prayed up. So this is going to lead us into like the first weekend of September, and we're going to be uh, doing a, a four-week series on prayer based upon the book uh, called The Circle Maker. And my hope for us as a church is that we would see prayer in a new light this year. That it wouldn't just be about prayer petitions, which Paul talks about. He says, listen, pray about everything. Petitions are really just humble requests before God. That that, it, that those are important and those are things we know. We know that there are prayer petitions in our church. This is last week's prayer request. That's a stack of, of petitions that we get to pray for. And we love praying for these. But my hope is that that we as a church get to a place where we are praying about these things. That the things that you're writing down You're petitioning for for yourself, and I'm not saying that you're not, but, but we would never want this to be relegated to the professionals, the pastors, the prayer team, but that we have an opportunity to get on our face before the Lord and contend for God to move in a miraculous way. My question for us as a church is, this is my question for me, I had to ask myself this because I just got done reading the book. I'm a little behind the times. It's an older book. But I, I had to ask myself, when was the last time I just got on my, like literally got on my face before the Lord? It's been a long time. And I think that's the place that the Lord's leading us as a church to where we're, getting in, we're pressing in, we're contending. If the story that we're going to talk about next week is the story of Jericho where, you know, they have to march around the city walls. It's a seem, seemingly impossible task that these walls would come down and yet every single day just praying for the walls to come down. And they did. The miraculous took place. So whatever walls are going on in your life, whatever These walls are, could we contend and pray for God's miraculous healing in them? So we're going to spend 21 days in prayer. It's prayer, not prayer and fasting. It should be prayer and fasting because I've been eating a lot of barbecue and vacation. (laughs) It should be fasting for me, probably, maybe for all of us. But this is prayer. In in January, we do prayer and fasting to recover from all of the holiday nonsense. Uh, And I'm inviting you to be a part of this, to, to participate. Because Paul says, pray about everything. Uh, This last week, I got an email about somebody from our congregation who has been struggling uh, with sickness. And uh, Pat Bailey's been a part of our church now for quite a while and has been a pastor of a church. And uh, she's done so much ministry that every one of us should be in awe of it. But she hasn't been feeling well and she doesn't know what it is. Uh, and so Pat, I'm going to invite you to come up. I'm going to invite all of us to stand, and we're going to pray for Pat. You know why? Because Paul says, "Pray about everything. And I re- recognize, in fact, if you're here this morning and you're like got some ail- ailment, physical ailment going on, I'm not going to make you come up here, but would you just be willing to be so bold and raise your hand? Pat, come on up here. You're sh- oh, yes, please, sorry. <laughs> Get <Getting> my manners. <laughs> sorry. Um, if you're here this morning, you, you have some sort of physical ailment, would you just raise your hand so somebody can put a hand on your shoulder? Uh, keep them up. Just look around, everybody. If you're standing next to somebody who's raising a hand, put a hand on that shoulder. Nothing weird about that. It's maybe out of your comfort zone. Uh, if, uh, if you're here for the first time, that's okay. We don't always do this every week. But Paul said, pray about everything. If you have a problem with it, take it up with Paul. All right, uh, everybody got a hand on their shoulder that's got a hand raised? Good. Well, Lord, I pray for all of these physical ailments. Uh, your word says that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the God who uh, healed people through Jesus heals people today through us, through his Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we contend for healing to take place. God, I pray for... Uh, pat, whatever's going on in her body, whatever ails her, uh, Lord, that you would give the doctor a very clear, uh, precise ability to recognize that. Ultimately, God, I pray for your healing power over her life, that she would be healed in the name of Jesus, that every person who's got a hand raised would be healed in the name of Jesus. Because God, you call us to pray about everything. And so we walk in that obedience today, that today, we would be about healing, that, you're, that we would be about prayer for your healing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, go ahead and be seated. Oh, yes, you wanna say something? Oh, okay. As soon as Pat's feeling better, she's preaching. I'm not kidding, she's, a, she's an amazing preacher. If you've ever heard her speak, she's, she's fantastic. So pray about everything. Paul says, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Petitions, like these are petitions. Keep doing this, but you know what? Don't just keep doing this, go and get prayer. Pray for them yourselves. Thanksgiving, by faith, I thank you in advance, God, for what you're gonna do. I thank you in advance for all of the healings that are gonna take place because of those that responded today. The second thing that Paul says is think about the right things. In verse 8 of chapter 4, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And we live in a world where there's so much negativity. It's hard to think about these kinds of things when everywhere we turn, it's negative. Studies show that negative news can significantly change an individual person's mood we would all agree with that, right? We flip on the news, it's depressing. Changes our mood. We're like, if you believe the news, the world's on fire right now. And I'm not saying everything's great, but it certainly isn't as bad as it's painted, or at least it's not all bad. It's, it's depressing if you watch it, but yet that's what we're bombarded with. Especially if there's a tendency in, in the broadcast to emphasize suffering or the emotional components of the story, it's really depressing. In particular, negative news can affect our own personal worries. So viewing the negative news means everything's, everybody's talking about fake news. I just call it negative news. Everything's negative news. It means you're likely to see your own personal worries as more threatening and severe. And when you do start worrying about them, you're more likely to find, your, uh, find yourself uh, difficult to control your worry. And it's more distressing than it normally would be. We'd all agree with that, I think. But it's not just the news, is it? It's everything that we're consuming. It's everything we're ingesting through our eyes. It's everything that we're thinking about. I mean, just take inventory real quick. If you Think about the, the last, like, queued up things in your Netflix. And just evaluate, are they uh, pure, lovely, admirable? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy. I was watching House of Cards. Hey, listen, I'm not judging you. Paul is. <laughs> he's judging you. He's judging me. And he's saying, listen, if all you do is consume yourself with negative things, that's the only thing you're going to be thinking about. And if... If our week consists of a fire hose of negativity and just a couple drops of things that are trustworthy and pure and right of God, then how could we help but only think about negative things? This isn't enough to, to overcome this. There has to be something of A filter in our lives that allow for things that are pure and true and right and lovely and praiseworthy. Paul goes on to say, whatever whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Again, he says, the God of peace will be with you if you found yourself stuck in this place between hope and and fear, in this place of anxiousness, what are you consuming? What are you watching? What are you thinking about all the time? And maybe that needs to be addressed in our lives. Maybe that's something that needs to be challenged so that the promise rings true that the God of peace will be with us. And then the third thing that Third thing that Paul says is, trust God in all things. That God is fighting for you. We sang a whole set of songs about his victory. That he's fighting for you. That he went to the cross for you. That he was resurrected from the grave so that you could be resurrected from death into life. That he is for you, not against you. So we can trust him. In verse 12, we'll come back, we, we're coming back to the, that verse. It says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul's saying, listen, I, listen I'm not trying to guilt trip you guys because you couldn't help me out. I just want you to know something that I have figured out, I have discovered what it is to be content, not because I have it within me, because he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Tim Tebow didn't come up with that. And we think he did because he puts it on his eyes or whatever. Like, Paul is saying, he's sitting in a prison, he's experiencing way more turmoil than Tim Tebow ever has and he's saying, "I can do everything because of him who gives me strength. Whatever your thing is that's defeating you, whatever it is that you're walking through, whatever the, the circle in which you stand, the circumstance that you're in, you can get through it not because you have the ability, but because of him who gives you strength. That's a promise for God from God. Paul also says in Romans 8, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? What shall we say? If God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for you, then then what can stand against you? The answer is nothing. Nothing can stand against you. Verse 21, Paul closes out this amazing letter to this church. And he says, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. And I'm just gonna stop right there and say, I don't ever read these verses. Like when I'm reading through scripture and I get to the ending, and it, you know, it's it's just wrapping things up. Right? He's just saying his goodbyes, he's sincerely Paul. And so when I start reading, greet all the saints, the brothers who are with me, all the saints send you greetings. Oh, it's nice, nice, I don't want to waste my time with it. But I read it because I owe it to you to read all of Scripture. And as I was reading it, something jumped out at me. It says, The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Wait, what? So you're telling me that there's believers, there's people of the faith, there's followers of God who are in Caesar's household? I've never noticed that before. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And it's just a a small little saying in there, but something jumped out at me when I was reading that. Because Paul had all of this intention to be this preacher, to be this guy who was going to go and evangelize the whole world. After he had his conversion on the road to Damascus, as Julie talked about, he was going to change the world. And yet he finds most of his time in prison. He he thought he was going to preach the gospel from a platform, not write letters in a prison. And yet somehow through the joy that he found in God, that that he could get through everything, not in his own strength, but in the strength of God, that he was an influence in the government's family, in Caesar's family. These people were not good people. These are the enemies of the story. And yet he influenced them from a prison cell. And I say that because I think oftentimes what happens if you're like me, we go through these seasons where maybe we find ourselves halfway between hope and fear and we're just in this place of nothingness that we just aren't doing anything or accomplishing. And we certainly don't feel like God could do anything through us while we're in the midst of our prison. Paul would say otherwise. Paul would say God can use you in whatever prison you're sitting in right now. That you can have influence in every person that you come into contact with. That you might even impact our government's family. And we know our government needs Jesus. All of them. So if, you, if you're ever like me and you find yourself thinking, God, I'll just, if I could just get out of this season, then I know you could use me. Or or if you found yourself just maybe a little bit more towards the fear and the hopelessness and saying, God, I don't think you could ever use me in the midst of this crisis that I'm in. Paul would say, wrong. God can use you. He can use you right where you're at to influence and make a difference in people's lives. To change people's eternities, their family trees. Like people who... I mean, that's ultimately what happened in Caesar's family is it changed the dynamic of a city, of the center of the world that went from a pagan culture into a Christian culture. All because Paul was faithful and found joy in a prison cell. And his point being that joy always wins. Always wins. That if you can find a place of contentment in the midst of your circumstance, joy will win and you will make a difference in eternity. Let's pray. Well, Father, easier said than done, maybe. It's hard. It's certainly hard to see beyond our circumstances. Sometimes it's hard for us to see the bigger picture because everything is so consuming around us and so strangling us and we don't feel like we can breathe. But God, somehow Paul in the midst of that found strength, he found joy in you. So God, today I pray for all of us that we would find that same strength, we would find that same joy. And that we would celebrate the victory that you've had over death in order to give us life. To bring us to a place that we can trust you. We can pray. We can think on right things. You've given us that ability through the death and resurrection of your son Jesus Christ. So Lord, thank you for that. God, I pray for anyone here this morning who's feeling defeated, that their circumstances are strangling them, feeling isolated and lonely. And whatever prison cell they're in, God, I pray that they would find strength in you. They would find contentment, whether they have a lot or a little, whether they're fed or hungry, that they would find it in you.